Today is Wednesday. It's June 28th, 2023, and it's 2.44 in the afternoon. And hi, I'm John Williams. There you are again listening to the Mincing Rascals podcast. Thank you for that. Share us with your friends. Give us a good rating. Portions of this pod are broadcast Saturday nights on WGN Radio. That's a warning to us. And also remember, you can listen to my radio show weekdays from 10 to 2. Hey, it's Brandon Pope, host of On the Block on WCIU and WBEZ's Making Podcasts. I'm Anna DeBlantis, longtime broadcaster, investigative journalist, and I work at WGN with my friend John Williams. Woohoo! <laughs> I'm Eric Zorn, the publisher of the Picayune Sentinel and uh, former Tribune columnist. The uh, backdrop for Eric Zorn's screen grab on our Zoom call, which you may have seen if you also watch the video pre-roll redo, shows a uh, that we do shows um, a smoggy, smoky city in the background. This shot was taken yesterday. The um, the air here looks like it. I went to, to Beijing a few years ago, exactly. and the air there it looks exactly like this. It's like you wake up every morning, you think, oh, there's a little morning haze, and then the morning haze doesn't go away. Yeah, and and. Uh, I did not personally have trouble breathing, but I also didn't go out for a run or anything. So um, I just kept looking at my phone saying extremely dangerous air quality. (laughs) I know. It's weird. And and stayed inside, even though I don't think my house is impermeable. I don't quite know why being inside is such a wise thing to do when you have just an old house like we do. But but, uh, it's been quite an event. It's still going on as we speak. I also want to talk a little bit about Robert Kennedy Jr., who is in town today. NASCAR, which is going to be in town this weekend. Some pop-up violence that we are still dealing with. And President Biden is in town today. I just read that the current air quality index rankings put us on par with Dubai, Detroit, and Delhi. Three places you don't often want to be associated with for for different reasons. But, you know, it's just it's it's nice that it's kind of getting a little better. Right. It was just a reminder of how we all need clean air and and, and how our environment matters and uh, how we treat it. It's funny because it's like normally if it were coming from a different country, we might blame them for not doing a better job, you know, tapping out forest fires. But it's so hard to blame Canada for anything, I think, because they're just so nice. I mean, Canadians are so <laughs> nice, aren't they? They're like the politest people in the world. They would apologize for this. They would totally, oh, I'm sorry, I'm so sorry, I'm so sorry. But, you know, we wouldn't even blame them. I mean, I just, it's it's just what we have to deal with. But mm. I don't like it. I don't like it, John. The smoke from the Canadian wildfires, I know there's nothing we can do about it. There's no one you can really blame. But I did find myself this week conjuring up the image of Senator James, is it Inhofe? who in February of 2015, you guys, I'm sure remember this, brought a snowball to the Senate floor. 2014, the year before, had been one of the warmest years up to that date. And so as to mock the theory of climate change, he brought a snowball in as evidence that things weren't so bad. He had a blown up picture of his family making a snowman. In case we have forgotten, because we keep hearing that 2014 has been the warmest year on record, I asked the chair, you know what this is? It's a snowball. And that's just from outside here. So it's very, very cold out, very unseasonal. So here, Mr. President, catch this. Mm -hmm. Even then, I thought that was kind of stupid or irresponsible. But this is what we are reaping now. We can't turn the clock back. The planet gets warmer. It gets drier. You get more violent storms with lightning that hit the ground, that cause fires, that burn out of control, and then you get smoke in Chicago. This is that. The uh, 
reason that we sort of have abandoned global warming as a catchphrase or as a warning call and, and gone to global climate change is because it is these extremes that we're seeing that you see uh yes the, the planet is getting warmer but it also because of of the way <clears throat> the temperatures are changing you do get these violent winter storms as well you get more weather extremes and the uh the, the report is that we're seeing you know the the up in in canada we're seeing uh, 13 times worse destruction from fires this year so far than the 10-year average that preceded it. And and that is based, I you know, believe on exactly what we're talking about, these these dry conditions, these these elevated temperatures. But you're going to get snowstorms. You're going to get blizzards. You're going to get these wild swings uh, of of weather that, that are going to negatively impact us. You know, I've been I've lived in Chicago 43 years, and I don't remember anything close to this. I mean, I'm sure there have been wildfires in Canada every year since then, but but uh, we, we've seen nothing like that. People in Colorado uh, deal with this. Northern California, they deal with this. Maybe Southern California, too. There are parts of the world that are used to fires, but we're not used to fires so big it it obliterates the skyline of Chicago for days on end. Uh, I'm a little jealous of New York because they got the whole orange sky Cool <laughs> they got a prettier vision <laughs> version of this the dystopian view I, ours wasn't as dystopian but I, i've been wearing my mask mostly outside but when, I, when the moments where i didn't have it on you could actually smell the air and yeah it's there's a clear noticeable difference there um is it jarring it, it is a little jarring especially i think what's jarring is that i think some people have just kind of like shrugged at it it's been like ah, uh, you know it is what it is it's, it's another day in chicago but then you think about what they're ingesting, the toxins coming in. Um, and you think about how, as you mentioned earlier, this is the genie's kind of out of the bottle at this point. This has yeah. been a, a series of decisions and lack of movement on climate that we're paying for right now. And so right now, the effort's got to be try to limit the bleeding. But yeah, I think we also have to look at the impact of capitalism when it comes to this as well. Usually that, that thorough line between capitalism, climate, and our climate getting worse, it's like right there. The X crosses because uh, we see numerous decisions made where profits are prioritized over the environment itself. And so um, this is just a, another result of that. I'm worried uh, for, you know, the future, how much longer we're going to see stuff like this. We shouldn't have a Canadian wildfire impact our air quality here. Um, but all we can do at this point is try to stay as safe as we can, especially if you have a respiratory um, illness, asthma, mm-hmm. like I do, keep that mask handy um, and just try to be safe. Yeah, I can't turn the clock back to 2015, but and if I could, I'd probably turn it back to 1972 or something. You know, I mean, uh, the, the genie oh, yeah. probably is a long time ago. so out of the bottle. But, but you know, th- there would have been no way to persuade us in the 70s or 80s or even in 2015. You guys, we got to do something about this. I don't think that humanly possible was there a way for us to persuade people to go against our economic interest, our burning of fossil fuels. You know, knowing what we know now, we couldn't have known it then. There was just we, and if we did, we still wouldn't have been susceptible to it. Even when we should have known, we should have known yeah. better, and we didn't do any better then. You're not suggesting that we're going to do better now, though, are you? I am. Uh, you don't. I, mean, I am. You do. Ho- you think? You think uh, you're hopeful, but I don't think people will. I mean, if you look at how people reacted to the to the vaccines. Uh, I mean, you had all kinds of people disputing basic science, basic medical science. Uh, and now you're talking about this this geological science 
that you can't see, you can't really feel, you can't really perceive day to day, except in events like this. I, I'm, I'm not optimistic at all. And I'm just hoping that some of this new technology will come in and, be, and become cheaper and more attractive. And you'll end up with a lot more solar power, a lot more wind power, uh, and you'll and a lot more electric cars rather than burning the fossil fuels. And I mean, that's what we got to hope for. But you know, I, most people who, who study this seriously have almost thrown up their hands about about the future here that they can say we got to do something we got to do something now we've reached a point of no return and people just keep shrugging it off i think part of the problem too is when they say well here's what's going to happen if we continue at this rate in the next 10 years the average temperature will go up 1.2 degrees and most people go ah, i can live with that but for some reason an average of one or two more degrees makes a big difference i do think the technology is going to catch up conservative politicians are smart enough to know that the science is against them on this. This is the only planet we got. I've got to be as cheerful as I can be. Well, maybe AI could solve this for us because I'm, what I'm reading is that AI is going to handle everything. Like you just, pl- I'm going to guess my chat GPT right now. Can you solve climate change, please? And get rid of the Canadian um, wildfires. We don't like this air in Chicago. I, you're right, though. Technology might be the way out of this. I, I don't, I don't know. It, it is does seem like it is a tough task and has proven almost an impossible one to try to get big corporations to not pollute. And I think, you know, jumping ahead to another topic we're going to talk about, it's one of the things that Kennedy talks about all the time that I think is resonating with people. He he loves to talk about this intersection of power and pol- and, and government and um, that the, the, they have too much control. I don't know how you change it. I, I think that we can all look at the system right now and say it is not functioning properly and we should not accept it. I think one way you see changes, you start with municipalities and cities and states and look at the laws they're passing and the investments they're making. Are we investing more in public transportation or are we investing more in highways and bridges and expanding 55s um, and adding more car traffic? Like that, those things matter. The amount of car traffic, the emissions coming from those things, that matters, right? Um, so when I see like disinvestments in public transportation, that's one thing that comes to my head is like, well, that's another ding on the environment right there. Where they're just boosting the emissions in the air. So I think, I think there's small ways that like even local governments can try to make yeah. some sort of impact here. But it's got to be collaborative, right? It, it really is going to have to take multiple cities and multiple states getting on board here and saying we got to make this a priority well the past president didn't want to be part of the paris climate accord and plenty of people said (laughs) as long as china doesn't do anything why do i have to drive a tesla i think of it as the theory of the bucket that fills up one drop at a time so if you change your dietary habits if you change your driving habits you can only do what you can do you can't persuade china to stop building coal fire plants but you can find ways to conserve i haven't done all of that myself <laughs> yeah i'm, I'm trying to drive this a blazer <laughs> yeah out to out to ottawa yeah all right <laughs> i'm just gonna blame john for climate change yeah, yeah it's your fault john well i yeah because yeah. i in theory then i'm the last drop that caused the bucket to overflow and right. so i gotta do my you know maybe i i'm gonna have to change out my vehicle and 
but, I but, love the accountability. This is well, great. It'd be nice if they <laughs> had a, the a rail line that went out there. You know, I mean, I would take public transportation if I could. Hey, stop picking on me. And I talk a little bit about that's interesting that you bring up Robert Kennedy Jr. He of nine shirtless push-ups, the, the kind of display that would make Vladimir Putin blush. Posted a video of this week. He wants to debate Joe Biden. If I'm Joe Biden, I cannot run fast enough away from that. <laughs> well, and I think that's it, John. It's like the, the central Democratic strategy and certainly the president's team strategy has been to like dismiss, ignore, um, you know, don't don't engage him and don't debate him. Right. And then that may seem like a, the right strategy. However, I feel like he, living in the fringes, Kennedy is getting a lot of some traction. I don't know that he can win, but he's getting some traction because he, it feels like he gets engaged with Elon Musk on Twitter and millions of people take note and engage. He's on right wing podcasts, really prominent ones and left wing. It's like there's enough of the stuff going on there for everybody to grab something they want to talk to Kennedy about. And then he's a Kennedy, too. And I just feel like I think the one part of his campaign that really resonates is and really smart, other than his ability to push ups and whatever, whatever you make of that, is that he talks a lot about this intersection between power and politics and i think a lot of people uh that a lot that a lot of people are drawn to that and so sometimes i find myself nodding my head with him even though it's him and it's not he's not my candidate he isn't the person i would support but when he talks about the big corporations profiteering off the pandemic or he talks about the drug companies controlling health care and having too much power there or big corporations um controlling our epa or our environmental you know situation I think there are there are points there where he gets noticed. And uh, a CNN poll that was out in late May said 20 percent of people who identify as Democrat, you've seen this or lean Democrat, Mm -hmm. like Kennedy, kind of more than you'd expect. Right. If you just sort of thought about the main things we know about him. He was if he was uh, Robert F. Pope Jr., for instance, <laughs> right. uh, he would not get 20 percent. There, there is still this this Camelot nostalgia based on on JFK, RFK and then Teddy Kennedy and the whole Kennedy family mystique that has gotten people a, a little bit excited about RFK's views. But he's not he's not going to win the primaries. One thing that's very interesting to me, and I <clears throat> was was following this, is that Biden has decided not to compete in Iowa and New Hampshire. I don't even think he's going to be on the ballot in those first two primaries. And that means that Kennedy could win them, uh, probably will win them. Uh, maybe not. I don't know if people are going to write in Biden or what's going to happen. You know, the whole idea was that the Democrats were going to ignore those first two fairly white states, not very diverse states, and start their primary season with South Carolina. And that could end I mean, the, the way the media works, the way the narrative works, you could end up with a lot of, of, of momentum, a lot of people saying like, hey, he's the real deal. He's winning. And that could really throw a wrench into the whole Biden campaign. I, they may they may rethink that strategy. I don't know. It's probably not too late. It certainly isn't too late to enter those primaries. Uh, but I do think that, that the Kennedy name is what's carrying him along, that hmm. he's being supported now by a super PAC called Heal the Divide, which is a MAGA-aligned political consultancy. Uh, he's being f- funded by right-wing venture capitalist David Sachs. Uh, he's speaking at Moms for Liberty, which is a, a, a very far right-wing group. Um, he's someone who keeps saying that Anthony Fauci is a fascist. He wants to gut the Food and Drug Administration. These are not things that Democrats are going to like. And I think so I think the closer they look at him, 
uh, the more they're going to reject him. And, uh, and Brandon, last week, Eric and I talked about this a little bit. Eric really thinks the Kennedy name is why he is where he is. I think it's his anti-vax policy, and some of the things Eric just said preclude him winning the Democrat primary. I think it's because he is an anti-vaxxer that he has the kind of traction he does. The Kennedy family has disowned him politically. He's a bit of a pandemic-era type of candidate where, as Anna referenced, people have a lot of um, angst toward government power in general. And so messaging that is anti-government, anti-power, um, those candidates kind of get a boost there. But I also think you have a historically unpopular incumbent candidate here, and that's a big factor as well. If Joe Biden was just a little more popular, I really don't think this would even be a conversation. But because there are a wide swath of Democratic voters out there, independent voters who say, yeah, we'll vote for Joe Biden again, but we would like another candidate. We would we would like to try somebody else. That just leaves the the window right there open. So I I think that's why you have a guy like Robert Kennedy jumping in. I hate to compare him to Bernie Sanders, but it does kind of remind me of like the Bernie Sanders kind of like outside outsider perspective, truth to power. People think he's really speaking truth to power. And I don't think the Biden campaign can really ignore it, especially if he's polling as high as 20 percent. I understand why they are. It's not right that an incumbent should have to entertain something like this. But because you have the numbers you do, and Biden is historically just unpopular for an incumbent right now, and you have so many people that just want a different option, even those that like him, I think it would serve the Biden campaign well to say, you know what? Yeah, let's have a debate. Let's. <laughs> Let's let's that let's would put serve, this guy. No, that would serve Brandon Pope well. That's the only person that <laughs> I'd love it too. I mean, come no, on, we don't watch. I think no it would serve Joe Biden. That would, I really do. Uh, not it, 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 if Joe Biden is really what he says he is and believes his policies and all this can can are what the American people want. He can have a chance in front of a national audience to say, "Hey, let's expose this guy. <laughs> let's <laughs> explain why exactly he's not what he is." And Biden's good at debates. Like he, it's, it, he it does is, well in debates. He does well in debates. It's a, it's a time honored political tactic not to debate a candidate who's not polling all that well. And twenty percent really right. isn't all that well. Uh, Donald Trump is reportedly oh. not going to engage in the debates in the Republican field. He doesn't want to sit up there on stage and get hammered by the uh, by a uh, a roundtable of people going after him. He's going to hold a, a rally. Uh, during the debates and hope to draw some of the viewers away from uh, that. So I, I don't think, I don't think that's, that's going to happen. Uh, what do you make of his, his push up video and his weightlifting video? Is that, I mean, to me, that makes him seem clownish. No, I think this is totally strategy here. I think this it's is strategy. like, yeah, right. You think about here I am, look how virile and good, strong I am. And, Oh, by the way, look who isn't, right? This is what we're pointing out. 68% yeah. of uh, Americans polled say that they have concerns about Biden's mental and physical health. So look at me, look mm-hmm. at me, um, look how great I am. And even shirtless, wow. I mean, like, you attract attention. And it's pure strategy. He does look fantastic. I got to say that. I how mean, old is he? Fantastic. Hey, Pete, how old is he again? He's 69? 69, yeah. 69, and the dude is... I, I, Still sculpted. I, I the plan to look snapper in the race, right? Oh yeah, I plan to. I, yeah, really. I, I, and I plan to look like that when I'm 69. I'm just not quite there yet. <laughs> yeah, I am. I am part of a Reddit group called Juice or Natty, where we 
judge whether people got their physique naturally or through steroids. Juice or natty, okay. Uh, and and I'm telling you, RFK is not natty. That man been juicing a little bit. Uh, he's, there's a little steroid cocktail going on. Hmm. Mostly I'm looking at the traps. I look at the traps. I'm like, that's not... The what? That's oh, the trapezoids? Not. You can tell that he's a little more into physical fitness than I am. I don't know what these muscle groups <laughs> the trapezoids. are that we're talking about. I'm talking about his shoulders. The look at the look at the uh, if, you, if you look at a picture of him, like the, the triceps themselves, yeah. they just don't look natural. They're not man made, huh? Okay, yeah, it just feels like there's a little bit of you know uh, Joe Canseco going on. That's some irony there because he's opposed to the the vaccines. If he's injecting, injecting steroids. Well, you know how some people are single issue voters. I think I've said this on this podcast before. I'm a single issue non-voter, and so uh, you're right, Anna. I I don't know that he's not intelligent, but I'm a single issue non-voter. If you are an anti-vaxxer, I don't think you are a reasonable enough person to be president. You make it easy for me. I think it totally makes sense. There's always if something stands out to you, the like this just this is a no, this is a non-starter. This is a right? deal breaker. Yeah, it's like like you know that just makes me wonder about everything about you. I, I'm just surprised that 20 percent number. I'm I am too. Well, I, I was dismissing him too. It's like ah, oh, whatever, you know. But is that 20 percent among Demo- likely Democrat voters too? Right. That's- it was. It was Democrat identified as Democrat or lean Democrat. Okay, fair enough. But I mean, centric. I think a lot of Republicans would vote for him. In fact, you know, we yep. talked to Chris. Steyerwalt, the political editor at, at uh, News Nation, who was a, a, on the Trump team before, and he said, I would love to see this guy on a Republican ticket. How would he do? Look what Eric said about the people that are giving him money right now. I don't know if that's people that actually love him on the right or they just want to mess with Joe Biden on the left, but he sounds more like a Republican sometimes than he does a Democrat. There's certainly a, a belief that he's going to draw more. He would draw more Democratic votes than Republican votes if he were to say be a third party candidate, which is he says he's not going to do that. Uh, so maybe they're just trying to throw some chaos into the Democratic system. Yeah, I'm trying to remember when the last time an incumbent president was challenged seriously in the primary, and I'm thinking it was it was when uh, Teddy Kennedy challenged yes. Jimmy Carter in 1980. Yes. I don't think yes. there's been one since. There was. It was Bobby Kennedy Jr. Ironically, Bobby Kennedy Jr. uh, did that to Johnson. Uh, At least that's what Steyerwalt told me. But isn't it ironic that the last two times, and maybe the only two times it's happened, was his uncle and his dad. Wow. That's, yeah, that, that is, is that is interesting. Yeah. Um, and I, I don't, and again, I don't think either things are going to go anywhere, but, uh, but it, it is a, an interesting question is, are we looking at a situation where a third party, because so many voters out there have said they don't want these old guys running for president. Trump is no spring chicken. He's going to be, he's, he's closing in on 80 himself. Uh, Biden is obviously showing his age in some ways. And, and voters have said they want different candidates and they're probably going to get these two. And, and, you know, if I could just pivot a little bit and talk about all this conspiracy theories that Biden is trying to get Trump, you know, <laughs> off the ticket. He doesn't want to run against Trump. I think that Biden wants nothing more than to run against Donald Trump next year. I think Biden knows that Trump is, is maybe the only prominent Republican that he could beat. And I, I think that all these charges against Trump are not necessarily, I mean, they, they don't want Republicans to defect from, from Trump. And I, because, you know, any way you split the electorate up, if you put a, a Kennedy on the ticket, uh, I'm sorry, on a third party uh, run, you're going to mm-hmm. end up with mm-hmm. a with a with a split 
vote from the Democratic constituency that'll put put Trump back in the White House. I just really think Biden cannot take any person for granted at this moment. 20% may not be a lot, but it is kind of a lot. I think we're in a political climate where a third party could hurt him. The difference between Trump and him is Trump is actually popular in his party. That's why Trump isn't showing up to debates is because he going to win regardless. That, that's kind of his mentality. And I, I bet he's right. Whereas Biden, well, yeah, he's going to win regardless. But it's like there's so much doubt, uncertainty, and people are clearly not happy with him as the top of the ticket. He's got to do more to get out there and show why he's the person to inspire people to vote for him not against Trump. Mm-hmm. And I say, I think that's where things are going to get tricky for him. We're in a really weird era, y'all. Really weird era. The president spoke today, and I got in a little bit of trouble on the radio because I said, Terry Savage was on with us right afterwards. She was talking about what he said economically. She's the financial advisor or financial columnist. Um, and she said he did a terrific job. She said that his speech today was a game changer rather than focusing on things like wokeness or not wokeness and all the social issues and the baggage that 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 the republicans want to carry into the election he was just saying the economy is the ticket bidenomics is working and i'm all about that she said she thought his speech was terrific in chicago and i said i didn't think it was he stumbled a lot he kind of lost his way we used to have the best infrastructure in the world roads bridges etc but then we felt a third rated 13th best investment in infrastructure. Two to 13. My listeners reminded me, dude, the guy's a lifelong stutterer and he's 80. And I know that. All I'm saying is it doesn't engender a lot of confidence when you hear him speak. It's like he can't read well off a teleprompter. This may be completely irrelevant. All I'm saying is he. one of the reasons maybe his numbers aren't that good is because he doesn't verbally present himself that well he looks great when he talks you see why the people go see i told you he's not mentally competent i think he's mentally competent i don't think he speaks well publicly i mean you're telling the truth it's okay to to say that i get i'm with you john it's tough to watch a biden speech i think so i think so every word i know and then you find yourself going but i know what he means or i know what he's saying there and i he lost his place he picked it up here and then he invented a paragraph and then he went back and it's it's not it's not very fluid well the question becomes for when you have such a stark contrast between biden and trump yeah if that's what it's going to be you know, it's, it's a long way from going, you know, I've got some doubts about Joe Biden. I think he's too old for the job. That means I'm going to go and pull the lever for Donald Trump. I mean, that, that's <laughs> that's a huge leap. I mean, I, I would I would vote for someone in a coma, a Democrat in a coma over over Donald Trump. So <clears throat> and I think and I think a lot of Republicans feel the same way uh, that, that they would vote for, for Donald Trump in prison over Joe Biden. I do, the, too. The How damning do you think the audio tape was? that was captured of Donald Trump saying that he had and was evidently sharing classified documents. Let me see that. I'll show you an example. He said that I wanted to attack Iran. Isn't it amazing? I have a big pile of papers. This thing just came up. Look. This was him. They presented me this. This is off the record, but this was the Defense Department and him. It's pages long. Look. Except it is like highly confidential, yeah. secret. 
this is secret information. <laughs> look, look at this. The whole thing doesn't look or sound sound good, right? It's it's um, you know, did you hear what the Trump camp said that it's yeah, that exonerated him? Yeah, that made headlines, but that it was all bravado. It was bravado. He was just bragging about it. And great, great excuse, right? If you're on the Trump team, then you're saying, you know, that's exactly what you should say because who's going to say that Donald Trump isn't guilty always of bravado or always pumping up stuff and that he doesn't say things, you know, very um, subtly, right? I think, I think this is funny to me just having covered federal trials over the years so many times. There's always one little thing like this that comes out right before trial. Always with, with Bogoyevich, it was the effing golden tapes. Remember we, we heard those and you're like, Oh my God, you know, here it is. I think I leave these things to what is actually what the evidence is and how this actually plays out in a courtroom. And I think that this is fun, fun to talk about. And it certainly seems like guilty as sin talking about it. It's like, what, why would you ever say that? Who would ever do that? Um, and it does seem damning. But I, I just um, this is this is an interesting political time to see a former president going to trial. Um, and then potentially running for office at the same time and, and just all the things that we're um, we're seeing unfold right now. He has gotten away with gaslighting people his entire life. And so he thinks that he can ta- say that, oh, I was talking about golf course plans or something else, or I was talking about magazine articles. When you can hear on the audio what he's talking about, there's there's no getting around it. And he can say what he wants on Fox News Digital or wherever he went on the other night to, to try to justify himself. But you can't do that in court and he's not going to testify in court. He won't testify on his own behalf because he cannot stop lying. And so he, he, he and his lawyers can't really make that argument because he can't just say, well, he was said it was secret, but we know it was actually magazine articles. He'd have to have somebody come up and say, and say that. Uh, so and I think maybe this may, this may be the, the time that Donald Trump gets caught up to in terms of his assembling, his gaslighting, all, all the ways that he is, has gotten by over the years. You know, the whole, it goes back to, you know, locker room talk, the whole thing where he says, Oh, no, I don't actually do that. It's just locker room talk. And, uh, it was did that sound Melania like bravado, said but that? it did sound like bravado. It did sound like him. You, you all, Sean Hannity defended it, right? I mean, Sean Hannity said, even as the president just said, look, I have documents I'm not supposed to have. And you can hear them in the microphone. Now, while he did say, you know, this is stuff that he got from the military that would be highly confidential and secret and says at another point, as president, I could have de- declassified it. Now I couldn't. But now, you know, it would still be a secret that does not confirm for me whether or not specifically this this document was declassified or not. Uh, Was that actually a real the real document or was it a story that he was telling? Sean Hannity goes, "Ah, I don't know that that's what that was. And the only way you can believe that is if you believe that he's lying and he is believably a liar. So maybe, maybe, maybe. Why are you making that face, Eric? It's just, I guess, this is a great defense from a lawyer. Like, you know, <laughs> well, I mean, <laughs> yes, my client confessed, but he's a liar, and so we all. So, <laughs> <laughs> well, but really, I mean, uh, I didn't see the documents, and in fact, I believe that the Trump team is saying that the documents that he is purportedly 
waving in front of these people were not the documents that the FBI captured. So uh, all I'm saying, Eric, is I see a narrow path for him to yet wiggle out once again. That's one of the things that uh, many, many things that, that Trump is very, very good at in its uh, messaging. And he says, no, that, that audio exonerates me. He didn't say how the definition of exonerate, this is not that. But maybe he sees a path out of the situation he's put himself in. So then Kevin McCarthy was talking about that, the Speaker of the House, and he said, well, you know, Trump can beat Biden, Trump can beat anybody, but he might not be our best candidate. I I don't know what he was thinking when he said that. He accidentally told the truth, maybe. Now he's kind of walking that back, too. I think maybe he was just reacting to the notion that your leader in the polls is quite possibly going to go to jail. You guys want to score that? How probable is it, knowing what little we do about this now? If he is, that on the federal charges, ultimately he will never go to prison because those trials are going to take forever. And ultimately, probably he'll get a pardon or a commutation of some sort uh, so he won't end up in prison. The state charges in New York are really not going to be prison level offenses. Uh, Georgia is still a state case and no one can pardon him there. Uh, Well, the governor, I suppose, could pardon him there. Um, uh, So I'm saying chances of him actually ending up in prison, 15%. 15, 1-5. Brandon, go. Yeah, I think the chances of him actually being locked up are low. I I do think all this helps him politically, though. Oh, the establishment is out to get me. They're trying to arrest me. They're making up charges. Look at how political they're making everything. Oh, man. I think he loves the idea of, you know, uh, the the deep state coming after him. And uh, as long as that's hanging, I think you're going to see his numbers keep rocking. So it's fascinating. But I don't think he's going to get any. I think it's uh, less than 50, Anna, less than a 50 percent chance. What about you? For sure. I'd say it's a pretty low chance, possible, but a low chance. Um, I wonder if there's been any polling after, to, to Brandon's point, that this kind of stuff just speaks to the Trump brand. Here I am fighting for you, and all they want to do is take me down, and they'll do it anyway, and there's no substance to any of this kind of thing. And it, it, I just wonder if that just rallies his already existing base, or does he bring a few more people over to his side with that? I, I don't know. I don't know the answer to that. Isn't it just a little embarrassing that your guy is, is is so exposed and now everybody's working as hard as they can to say, no, the emperor has clothes when clearly he doesn't? I'm guessing that if you were to administer truth serum to most Republicans, they would say that they're a little tired to a lot tired of Trump's all the stuff, all the chaos that he brings. But they're not throwing that, they, that at him, Eric. But they're not. They, well, but they still like a lot of what he did, the Supreme Court justices, some of his rhetoric on immigration, some of his, his other uh, his tax cuts for wealthy people and so on, that they that they like Trumpism. They just don't really like Trump, uh, which is why, you know, DeSantis, who uh, I mean, he seems to be stumbling as he comes out of the gate. But DeSantis is someone who who projects a lot of Trumpism without the Trump craziness. So they, the voters may be looking for that. I just don't if you have the, such a fragmented field with you know, Nikki Haley and Tim Scott and all these other people running uh, <clears throat> that that uh, you end up just fragmenting all that anti-Trump or, or anyone but Trump vote. And he ends up walking away with all these primaries. If I were DeSantis's campaign manager, I would say, do some push-up videos. Do you have, <laughs> can you do push-ups? How about pull-ups? <laughs> Show yeah. how strong you are. Play some pickleball, something. Take your shirt <laughs> off and get out there. Maybe that in Florida. That's what I've heard. <laughs> 
Uh, Speaking of sports, thoughts on NASCAR. This weekend is when the festivities begin and the race is on the first and second. So this will be our last chance to uh, say something before we have it in our rearview mirror. Uh, As a guy who works downtown and travels downtown every day, and I go up and down Lakeshore Drive, north and south of the track. I go by it a lot. It's not been that disruptive to my life. I'm anxious to see it. I'm hoping we'll see some crashes. They're promising with, what is it, 12 90-degree turns, 40 to 140 miles an hour. They're going to trade more than some paint. I'm not going to go, and I think the ticket prices are obscene. But if it brings in $100 million, it's a benefit to the city. Yeah, it hasn't been disrupted my life at all. So I, I'm, I'm taking a wait and see. Are you going to watch it on how- TV? Uh, probably not. No. Oh, come on. Um, well, you've got to watch it. I'm going to be traveling that uh, those two days, so I don't think I'm going to be uh, able to watch it. But I, I, I probably would. I would. I would DVR it because I could watch the crash. I could speed through the normal stuff and watch the crashes. But uh, is anybody on the panel going? Uh, media credentials have got to be out there. Yeah, I, I think my daughter's interested in going, and I think we're going to go. Um. I'm trying to keep an open mind about this. I read that 80% of the people who will be at the Chicago NASCAR race have never gone to a NASCAR race before and count me in. I don't know anything about NASCAR. I really don't. Um, But I don't know that I'll like it. I just, I think it's be a cool experience and, um, and we'll see. Hey, I think any time the city can attract something like this, wow, that's great. We need more of this, more of this. But I don't know. I don't know. I don't know if I'm going to like NASCAR after seeing it. I don't know how many of those people who are first-timers will walk away saying, I love this. I'm a fan. I'm going to start watching. They're Thank saying you. in the city and the NASCAR that 65% of the people in the city will be from outside the city. You know, that it's, uh-huh. it's going to be people from out of town. I've got press creds, but I am not going to be there. I'll be in D.C., as soon as I heard this was happening, I booked a ticket out of Chicago. <laughs> so, <laughs> so I will be watching on TV, I guess, maybe. I love IndyCar. I love the Indy 500. I imagine I'd enjoy something like this. I just wonder how it's going to play out here. Really where it's going to be judged is not just who wins or is there a crash or how inconvenient it is, but how well does the city over what I'm calling a five-day weekend, Friday, Saturday, mm-hmm. Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, manage crowds, manage public safety. Boy, do we need a good five days here. There's going to be a lot of cameras in the city and a lot of people who don't normally come here. So I got my fingers crossed. Anna's going to put her family in harm's way I am. come into the city <laughs> and actually Guilty. expose them to this. But I'm glad. I'm glad. Hey, look, last weekend, we had a good weekend. Pride was surprisingly, I don't know if 29 people shot is not violent, but it's not 80 people. So that's good. Yeah, and there was that that t- street takeover in Lakeview. Yeah, talk about three that. Eric. Describe that. Well, for us. I, I mean, all I know is what I saw, saw in the uh, videos: a lot of kids jumping up on cars and twerking, and you know, d- defying police orders to get out of the street. And the alderman there, the local alderman, was very upset about it and said it's unacceptable, which is the you know the adjective that that alders use when they are infectlessly. Uh, Invading against some, something or another. So, what is, it struck me that first of all, the, the police couldn't get cooperation from the CTA. They wanted the CTA to stop uh, people getting off at Belmont, and the CTA w- wouldn't do that. And they and they couldn't get cooperation from Streets and Sand to put up some barriers because Streets and Sand couldn't do that on short notice. And uh, I, I, there's somehow they've got to get their 
their minds around these uh, these ta- they call takeovers. And the, the kids, I guess, uh, con- connect on social media. And I, I don't think there's any big message behind these takeovers. I think it's just kind of fun to go somewhere and and give the finger to everybody in the neighborhood and jump on their cars and their buses and and uh, disrupt their lives. But, I mean, the idea that oh, there's nothing for these kids to do in their own neighborhood, so they come here and do, they they could do that in their own neighborhoods. They could take <laughs> over streets in their own neighborhoods. But so but the, so there's there's a reason that they're coming up to other neighborhoods to do this. And uh, I don't know how the city can really get their mind around it. I don't think, you know, Mayor Johnson's idea of, of oh, if you just give them jobs, they won't do stuff like this. Uh, I don't think that's true. I don't think this is, uh, and I don't know what the proper police response is. I think there were just two arrests uh, at this that's takeover. That's the unsettling thing, isn't it, Eric? That we see a lot of video now of the cops mm-hmm. seeing people getting beat or or jumping up and down on vehicles, vandalizing things, and the cops don't do anything. And maybe they're outnumbered or maybe they're picking their spots, but I've seen plenty of images in the last few months of the police clearly witnessing somebody being beat or some crime happening and the cops just walk on by. I think it has to do with the fact that they realize that that if they arrest somebody and do the paperwork and it, you have to go to court, probably not. These charges almost certainly be dropped. And it probably feels to them like just useless. Like, why would, why would they bother to do that? Uh, have these confrontations that could turn physical. They could stand there and watch and, and, and you know that it really wouldn't make any difference either way. It might be, though, that if you just if you started arresting people like like they do sometimes at political protests and just like put them in the plastic handcuffs, put them in the in the wagons, take them away, that you you increase the, the price of going to these things, which is not that you're going to have a criminal record necessarily, but you're going to be inconvenienced. It's not going to be fun. You're going to have to be right. hauled down to the station and processed, and someone's going to come and bail you out and, and all that. And and uh, so maybe that's part of the answer is you realize that if you go to these things, it's going to make your evening not that much fun. When I saw it, I was like, I mean, that sounds like a typical Saturday night Belmont Red Line situation. Aside from like, I guess they were on cars and stuff like that. I think the, the wild thing that came out of it was the WGN headline. I'm, I'm sorry to bring it up on the podcast, but the the destroy they destroyed Lakeview. Like, yeah, um, they had two head. They they they, um, <laughs> they tweeted out they destroyed, destroyed the Lakeview. It's, it's on fire, and uh, they they got backlash on Twitter. So then, when they went to print or when they posted the story online, rather than destroyed, Pete, what was the adjective or the verb they used? Uh, Disrupt, inconvenienced, uh, no, unsettled, discommoded, damaged, I'm guessing. <laughs> damaged. They damaged. damaged. So go. they didn't destroy Lakeview, which, by the way, is still there, but they damaged Lakeview. <laughs> and I think that's part of the media's problem. We need to report, but we don't need to exaggerate. And I think destroyed doesn't do anybody any favors, journalistically or from the city standpoint. I think this phenomenon we're seeing of kids taking over uh, team takeover is being called sort of like a PBS public access show, but team takeover, it's obviously we got to look at the parents, got to look at families, got to look at things like that. I think we got to look at social media, we got to look at TikTok, we got to look at the fact that this is the culture. It's not just a Chicago problem. This is happening in numerous cities where these teams are just gathering and trying to do what they think is fun, which is cause disruption. But what's new about it is they now have the tools to do it in a way that there's no way to really catch it before it's just it's too much. So we just got to get better social media monitoring, 
The parents got to step up and do more. The destroying the neighborhood thing is just kind of representative of like the way all these stories are carried. WGN aside, they don't make mistakes like this a lot. And that was not the right way to position it. But, you know, you see how those any video of Chicago that's broadcast anywhere nationally, it sometimes, you know, makes me cringe as soon as they say, well, look what's happening in Chicago or it's not always a good thing. And I feel like the, the optics of it are, are just uh, are, are bad for our city and our brand. And I, I, I mean, I just think every time this goes out there, it's it's made to be more than it is. How many times are all of us having to defend our city and how much worse has it gotten over time? Right. I mean, I actually had a friend, legit friend from college who lives on the West Coast who said, I'm supposed to book a conference for, you know, my team. Is it safe to be in Chicago? I'm like, what are you talking about? You lived in Chicago for yourself for like five, six years. You're not like, you know, this shouldn't be, you know, a scary place to you. But I think that that's where my, my mind goes every time. This one is a smaller example. But every time these things come out there, I just kind of fear for the brand of our city. And yeah. I, I just love the city so much that I just feel like, uh, that's part of it too. Fifty thousand. They're having um, in the city right now downtown. You'll see lots of uh, look like teenage, maybe age girls, sometimes wearing matching jackets with team names on there. Fifty thousand people are in Chicago this weekend for a national volleyball championship tournament. I'm not sure exactly who's putting it on or who 50,000 people are, but they all seem to be having a good time. They're eating pizza. They're walking around with their moms. They're all looking at their phones going, no, we need to be on the lower or is it upper? So whenever I see a story about 200 kids wilding, jumping on a car in Lakeview, damn it, I hate that. 50,000 young ladies and their moms are in Chicago right now and dads and coaches and they're all having a great time at McCormick Place and wherever they're staying and walking around and eating. Just, I think perspective is the hardest thing here. There's one other story okay. just real quick I want to get to this week. If we're going to talk about crime in Chicago, we can keep it real. Pete just handed me the story, a shooting that took place at a hot dog stand and most of us, I think, have seen the video of it. Eric, how do you describe it? It was the Maxwell Street Express uh, fast food place, uh, 116th and uh, Halstead. And the cell phone video shows a, a woman, uh, Carlisha Hood, getting into this argument with a very belligerent young man named Jeremy Brown. And he's yelling at her to get her food, which I don't even know what that meant in that context. He's yelling at her to get her food and she's talking back to him and he says, I'm gonna knock you out if you don't if you say one more word. He ends up taking two swings and hitting her pretty hard in the in the head of the face. And then right after that, uh Hood's 14 year old son shoots uh Jeremy Brown and the video cuts out. And then from the prosecutors we hear that that Brown was able to run out of the store and that out of the restaurant and that the 14-year-old uh, at his mother's direction followed after him and continued shooting. Yes. And uh and, and Hood, uh, sorry, Brown ended up dying and the police ended up arresting uh Carlisha Hood, the woman and her son and charging them with murder and then very abruptly dropped those charges this week and and you know that would be sort of the end of it except that now she is suing the police department for false arrest and emotional distress and so on that she thinks that there was no reason to arrest she her. She shouldn't have even been arrested at all. Because she was hit in the face and then told right. her son to shoot that guy. Right. How well, convenient. My, How convenient that her 14-year-old had a gun. I think she had it was, a gun. It was her gun. Oh, yeah. pardon yeah, me. Is. My bad. 
Well, okay. I, I have a lot of sympathy for anyone who gets beaten up or punched in the face in public and, and, and very little sympathy at all for the puncher in a case like this. I, I do have questions. And the law, Illinois law does allow you to use, um, the use of force that's intended or likely to cause death or great bodily harm if you reasonably believe that such force is necessary to prevent imminent death or great bodily harm to yourself or to another person. I think this 14-year-old was perfectly <clears throat> justified in opening fire on someone who was beating his mother like that. That that, that can be – great bodily harm is done by people getting punched in the face and yeah. the head. Yep. And and that guy seemed like he was out of control. I, I think that was a, a, an exquisite example of self-defense. I don't – I know that the law does not allow you to shoot somebody who's running away. And that's where this whole story, I mean, this is what prosecutors say. He's he's shooting at this guy as he's running away from the scene. That's where it becomes, you know, potentially first degree murder or, uh, or, or some slightly lesser charge. And so I think the police were within their rights and responsibilities to arrest them while that was all still sort of unclear. I haven't heard from Kim Fox's office, the state attorney, I haven't heard why exactly they dropped those charges like that or why they haven't explained more about what went on. But but it might just be that there's a great deal of sympathy, understandable sympathy for the woman who was beaten. It is one of those things where you're like, I mean, even in traffic, you're like, hey, I'm not going to I'm not going to don't get into it. Don't don't engage. Well, you, know, you just it. don't know. That's it. So she's nose right? to nose with this guy. And I'm thinking maybe you and your son have a gun. Maybe he has a gun. But whatever this argument is at a hot dog stand, don't engage. Don't engage. Listen, she did not do anything that we saw to deserve getting hit twice. Mm-hmm. And Eric's right. I I was maybe callous there, right, that um, she was getting serious bodily harm. And who knows what else this guy was going to do to her. I, I just don't like the idea of shooting people to death when it seems like you have other escape mechanisms, like get out of the hot dog joint or beforehand, don't argue with a crazy guy who says, if you say one more thing, I'm going to take you out. Don't be part of that deal. Don't be part of that. He's 14 years old. My boss today asked me, all right, your mom gets in a situation. What are you going to do? Are you going to shoot the guy? My answer was like, I'm not a guy. We weren't really in a gun culture growing up, so I wouldn't even think to. Um, My mom wouldn't have a gun, but I would physically assault the guy. Yes. In defense of my mom. Um, so I can understand where the alarm bells went off and the mother called for her son to, to step in, uh, for the initial incident where it gets tricky is what Eric was talking about there. The, once the guy's running away, um, but I, I, I get where the kid, he's 14. Once again, it's just, it's, 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 it's kind of backseat quarterback here, but like when you're in the moment, he's probably just thinking, defend mom, defend mom, defend mom, and not really thinking rationally about, oh, he's running away. So I could I can stop now, right? I do think it was a good idea for Kim Fox's office to drop those murder charges, especially for the mother. I mean, it'd be terrible for that fourteen year old to you know have his whole life derailed after something like this. He's fourteen years years old. His mom was under attack. You got to do what you got to do for your family. Sun Times says her son continued firing as Brown ran into a parking lot while being pursued by the teen and his mother. Hood was accused of urging her son to keep shooting Brown and kill him. She also allegedly told her son to shoot Brown's girlfriend 
who allegedly had been egging Brown on during the confrontation. I'm just reading an article in the Sun-Times. This doesn't make it gospel, but the callousness. Eric, none of it was good, but the callousness with which the kid just pulls out the gun, shoots the guy, and then allegedly runs into the parking lot and continues to shoot the guy. I disagree with the adjective callous when your mom's under attack. I think that that was uh, understandable. That and and it was and I think legally justifiable. If your mom is being uh, struck in the head by somebody who is clearly kind of out of his mind, that that defending her with that with that kind of shooting is is legally okay. I think shooting somebody in the back who's running away is not okay. He was caught. There's a lot of adrenaline going on. I don't, you know, obviously you're you're in a situation where it's where things are very very tense, very fraught, very emotional. Uh, it's probably wisest for Cook County State's Attorney Kim Fox to drop those charges. But the, it's the the thing that keeps throwing this thing forward is now she's suing the police. Like you yeah. have no no reason to, yeah. to uh, yeah. and that's going to cost taxpayers. There if, are no if, police if they, in this scene, by the way. You do not see the cops in the video of this story. They turned themselves in, I believe, what the story said ultimately. Well, but yeah, but so what I don't, do I saw, police have to do with this? Well, they arrested her and they and they've char- they charged her with with first degree oh, murder. Oh, so she's so. mad at them for that. Spent them for that, and uh, the emotions are running. That's really what they're high. supposed to do. I mean, that's what they're supposed to do. That though, I mean, right? And and, uh, and, fact, and, and and while you're still sorting out the, uh, you know, I, and I think the facts that we, as we know them, the facts that are alleged would justify an arrest, maybe not a conviction. Uh, so I just think everyone should probably take a deep breath and walk away from the situation. Would be my. My take on they're seeking more than fifty thousand dollars in damages, so um, maybe that will be something for us to consider later on when we follow this story. And that's all the time we're going to take. Anna, get your earplugs. You're going to need them for uh, NASCAR. Uh, <laughs> Thank you. I will. <laughs> but I'd love. To, I, we would love to hear your report about how that went. Have a great time. Thank you. And, yeah, uh, come, come back next week with a report. I'm going to come over with a report and one of those jackets with all the patches all over. That's what it is. <laughs> I think those are hot, even though I know nothing about NASCAR. And a tattoo. Okay. <laughs> there we go. I need yes. one of those, too? Okay. Stop, John. Right. Stop. Let's not be that way. Hey, it's got to be a number of them. <laughs> hey, the Michael a mullet? Jordan. Do I need a mullet? The the brand, oh, God. the Michael Jordan car they say is awesome uh, a forty five car with the with the Air Jordan symbol on the side they say say these cars are beautiful so forty five what forty five is yeah, a, I don't know if twenty three was taken I don't know that was the number he wore when he came back at least it's, uh, it's that but uh, uh, yeah twenty three would seem to be the number all right that's it guys have a great weekend uh, have a safe weekend and let's uh, reconvene next week that's uh, Anna Devlante Brandon Pope Eric Zorn. I'm John Williams. We'll drop another pot on you next week. Thank you, Anna. Thank you, Thank you Brandon. So good to see yeah. you both again. Good seeing yep. you guys. Well done. You know, I, you know I'm out next week, John, right? Yeah, I'm, I do. I do. I'm in the, mo- in the mountains. Oh, John. no. Yeah. No, he actually wants to be there. He's going to. <laughs> he was at a fiddle thing last week, right, Eric? Yeah. So I, yeah. Yeah. No, I, go, I, went to, uh, I went to the Indiana Fiddlers Gathering last on Saturday. And signed up. Oh, yeah, on purpose. And then I'm going down to uh, Cumberland Music and Dance Week in Kentucky. Wow. So. Hey, listen, indulging my. And when the River Rangers, the River Rangers, the Red River River Valley, River River Valley Valley Rangers Rangers perform in Ottawa on the St. Genevieve Riverboat, let me know, okay? Oh, absolutely. Okay, guys. We'll all go. All right. See you later. Clicking out. See you. Bye. Bye. Thanks, everybody. See you guys.
subscribe to the Mincing Rascals podcast on iTunes or the Google Play Music Store. You can now also follow us on Spotify, or you can keep listening online at WGNRadio.com. Thank you.